Take a seat, friends. Thank you so much to the band. Simon, come on up. So good, so good. Sorry just to move us along a little bit, but they're waiting for the live stream over the way, and they're eager to hear Simon, as are we. Um, welcome, friend. Really lovely, lovely to see you. You'll know Simon. Uh, many of you, some won't, but have uh, been a friend of ours for a, a long, long time. And uh, let's pray for him, and let's be hungry, hungry, hungry for, yes, for Simon's voice, but actually for the voice of God through him. Amen. I mean, we know Simon to be an engaging and anointed speaker, and that's great, and God uses him. But actually, in the end, we need to, need to hear God's voice. Amen. Yeah. So, Lord, we want to be like Samuel, who thought he was listening to a human voice and then realized actually it was yours. And, um, and so we say the same. We're listening to your voice. We thank you so much, though, for our friend and brother and for all that you uh, have given to him and done through him and for your affection that is set upon him. Bless him to be a spokesperson for the things of heaven that reach us today. Amen. Brilliant. Thanks so much for the welcome. It's great to be here. I, I just counted it was 21 years ago that, that I first uh, preached here. So you've been supporting us for over two decades in Burundi. Hopefully some pictures will come up on the wall. Who has never heard me speak here? Just as a so, yeah, so it's, well, it's a third probably. So I've shown these pictures probably 10 times here, but it's just to, to, for you to be able to picture where, where I, I've been for the last 20 years. So just roll through these pictures. That's where, oh, it's a bit funny set up. But anyway, that'll give you an idea. Central Africa, next one. And lived in Bujumbura for 20 years. Now I live in Bath. I've come to you from Bath. Size of Wales, small country, next one. And that's what it's known for in terms of violence, that conflict area. And I first went out there in 1998-9. It was the most dangerous country in the world. Lived expecting to die. Praise God, still around. Next one. And written a few books. Keep going on these. Um, so, yeah. And that, there's the crew. There's the family. So, next one. Um, just in terms of understanding how grim it has been. We are the hungriest country in the world. That, that, that blonde, cute little girl there, she's four years old. She's my Canadian friend's daughter. She's four years old. The girl in the middle... She's four years old, or she was four years old. She's probably dead now. And that's wrong, and that makes me angry, and I think that's righteous anger. It's the heartbeat of God. There are so many things that are wrong in this world, and we are called to be part of the solution. God's redemptive agents of change. And as I preach to you today, I'm not into you getting out to Burundi. It's like, what does this look like for me to be all in in Cheltenham, if that's your mission field? All of us on a mission together. Next one. Uh, and these next two I refer to as we get into the talk. So look at the next one. There's a witch doctor burning his child publicly. I'll, I'll tell that story as we move into it. And again, keep going and keep going. Um, so if you wanted to follow us, uh, you could uh, and uh, get our prayer stuff. I, I'm still alive because people pray. I'm quite convinced about it. I've driven along a road, 40 people got killed, and I, and, I, and I didn't get killed. And people, So I've had lots of really crazy experiences. And, and now I live back in Bath, and my challenge is, is to be on a mission there and to stay sharp, because Bath is quite similar to Cheltenham, isn't it? It's a really nice place full of really nice, respectable people, but, but the gospel is not respectable and nice. It's not about being nice. It's about so much more than that, so much more real and gritty and actually costly. And, uh, and my brothers and sisters in Africa have got so much to teach us. And it's such a privilege to live and work alongside them. And, and I'd love you to pray. And there's a podcast there if you want to sign up for that. It's just great, inspiring. I think we need inspiration, don't we? And we need to hear from different walks of life. So that's a podcast if you want to sign up for that. Come and see me afterwards in the car park. I'll be a car boot salesman with my books and stuff. And you can literally, as we're having coffee, uh, we, can, we can talk there. But uh, that's a bit, a bit of context. But I wanted to, you know, we'd be looking at these precious little baker kids this morning. And I wanted to look at some verses about children. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, we're looking at Luke chapter 15. 
chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. And I love it how Jesus messes with my head. I mean, he messes with all of us. Sometimes left is right, up is down. Um, you know, the last will be first, the first will be last. Things are quite topsy-turvy. Um, you know, God in heaven becomes a baby on earth. We get our life through his death. His cross provides our crown. The foolish shame is the wise. And, you know, I like, I think we all like to compartmentalize God to sort of make him manageable. And maybe we sort of Mm, we, we, we sort of tweak the message in terms of what it looks like in our lives so that, you know, we're meant to be followers of him. But I think for many of us, we're expecting him to follow us on our terms, at our convenience. And, and that's just completely missing it. And, and that's why he takes kids. And those precious little baker kids, I mean, they're so beautiful, weren't they? But kids in general, you know. And it says, says he, they, they brought babies to him, and then it talks about uh, little children. So I'm guessing, you know, it's a two, three, four-year-old. You know, they're so beautiful in their innocence and naivety, aren't they? And, and he's saying, will you come and be like that child? So, and he's already messed with our heads in, in, in the previous passage because he's told a parable in, in verses 14 to, uh, sorry, 9 to 14 about uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee's the good guy. It's the Tim or the Hills or the me up front. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the leader, it's the church person. And, and then they come out really badly from that story. Whereas the terrible, I don't know who we think is terrible right now, Matt Hancock, I don't know, you know, and he comes out as the good guy in this story. That's a really bad choice. But do you know what I mean? It's like completely topsy-turvy in that story. It just comes out in a different way. And so he's already messed with our heads. And then verse 15, people also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And, and when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, no, 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 no. Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That verse I've read I think hundreds of times in my life, never really got it. And in preparing for this, it's like it struck me first. Verse 17, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So this is really important this morning. And he's saying, don't, we're not, it's not about being childish, but it's about being childlike. And there's a difference, isn't it? So first question, you know, I've got my three kids. Do I want my kids, do you want your kids to turn out like you? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Now, you might not have kids. You might have nieces or nephews or whatever. Or, or when we go past a, a, a playground and it's primary, we can see the kids just, you know, having a laugh. You know, it's a beautiful sound, isn't it? Kids in their innocence just enjoying themselves in the playground. You know, if you haven't got kids, whatever, you know, those kids, would you, would you like them to turn out like you? Well, you know, I, it's not a straightforward answer, is it? But I think unless we've got sort of a lobotomized lack of self-awareness, we'll probably say, well, I'd like them to inherit some of my character traits. So I'd like them to maybe inherit my, my passion, but not my sort of attention to detail. I'd like them to inherit my, my, my good looks, but not my sense of humor. I don't, I don't know. It'd be different things, wouldn't it? Do we want our kids to turn out like, like, like us? But flip that question on its head. Do you want to turn out like your kids? Because on some level, that is what Jesus is saying here. Now, again, not childish, but childlike. What was so attractive about those little ones, those Baker uh, kiddos? Uh, and I suspect, well, shout out to me now. What are the characteristics of children? Go for it. Freedom. Freedom. Good, yes. Joy. Joy. Imagination. Imagination. Fun. Fun. Adventure. Adventure. Trusting. Trusting. 
loving, gracious, needy, dependent, forgiving, pliable, malleable, emotional more than rational. The list goes on, doesn't it? And and he's, Jesus is saying, you, I, want, I want you to have those characteristics. And I'm just going to take a few of those for us uh, and see what that looks like for us. So first of all, I'm going to say, we, we, we are actually needy children. Children, they are needy and dependent, aren't they? Versus self-sufficient and independent. And that's how I am more inclined to be. Self-sufficient and independent. And Jesus says, actually, no, you need to be needy and dependent. We're like, no, it's Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. And, and, and we like to claim the glory for how we've done in our lives. And, and we're probably, in general, above average sort of crowd here in terms of how we've done in your life. Do you think it's because you were great that you've done well in your life? Well, Keller says this, Tim Kelly says, you know, anything you have done, anything you've, you've achieved, anything you are, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources, all your achievements, in the end, they're a gift of God. Do you think you'd have done, achieved what you'd have done if you were born in Burundi? As a pygmy with a life expectancy of 27, the guys that we've been engaging with, do you think, of course you wouldn't. You were blessed to be born in this nation, probably, with a different range of opportunities. There was a friend, of my, a friend of mine sat down with a guy uh, with an empty bowl, and he was in his rags, and, and he, she, she said, what's your story in this refugee camp? He'd walked six days to get there. He'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death, and his house burnt down. And he was in his, yeah, he was in his 80s as this man with nothing left, stripped of everything. And he had this horrific story. He turned to her, and he said, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Well, that's needy and dependent, isn't it? And he sort of exhibits that in its purest sort of form. And children are needy and dependent. And we resist. We don't want to be needy. is like an insult. I'm not a needy person. Whereas actually, you are needy. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. You've screwed up. That's what, that's what the Bible is very clear on. We've all screwed up. We've all fallen short of God's standards. You are sick. Your sickness is your sin. It's your rebellion. Are going to God largely in terms of how we live our lives. And that's very serious. And some of you are like, that's offensive. Well, Jesus was, was plenty of offense, wasn't he? He didn't sugarcoat the message. He wasn't politically correct. Political correct. It's so grim, isn't it? He called things out that needed calling out. And it's so refreshing, but it was really annoying to people that were called out. And some of us, maybe we need calling out. I mean, basically, the ones that need calling out are the proud. So that leads on to the next one. You know, these Baker kids and, and kids in general, they're, they're, they're humble and teachable as opposed to proud and having all the answers. And James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but give, gives grace to the humble. So if you're annoyed, as I said, that you are needy and you need to be dependent, you need to recognize that, and you are offended, then you are proud. And it's bad news to be in opposition to God. Three times in the scriptures that verse comes up. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and the offer is there for grace. But you've got to be humble. Don't be in opposition to God this morning. Don't, that's a bad place to be. Now, has anyone, anyone hands up, has anyone got humility nailed? Anyone not wrestling with pride? C.S. Lewis says on pride, he said, the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. 
So let's be like children that way. Next one, curiosity against, versus indifference. Or, or, or having our wonder, sense of wonder dulled. You know, kids in jail, it's just so, life's so exciting, isn't it? And, uh, and Rolf Smith did some research on kids. He noticed that the that they, kids, on average, ask 125 probing questions a day. Now, that can be really tedious, isn't it, when they're going through that why, why, why stage. But, but it's lovely, isn't it? Their wonder hasn't been dulled. On average, adults ask six questions a day. So somewhere along the line, we, we, we've lost 119 questions a day. God, fill us afresh with a sense of wonder and curiosity. Next one, joyful. Kids, their default, I mean, the, the, with all these, the provisos, they've got you know, a safe upbringing, a loving environment, which isn't everyone's, I appreciate that. But a kid, if he's secure, she's secure in, of, in the family setup, they're going to be naturally joyful rather than always serious. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, come on, don't let, let the little kids come to me, because they're a good laugh. They bring joy to the party. As often we adults, we're just so serious. We need to lighten up a bit. And again, some more research suggests that kids laugh up to 300 times a day, whereas we adults, on average, chuckle 17.5 times a day. Bring it on. Get laughing. Let's get laughing a bit more. We need to lighten up, don't we? Next one, forgiving versus resentful. Again, little kids, they're quick, they're quick to get over stuff and move on, aren't they? And, and often we're not. Often we're resentful and we hold on to grudges. And it could be something small. It could be something huge. One of my key guys out there in Burundi, uh, his name's Judoni, and his father was, was murdered by being buried alive in a pit. And he was a good man, he was a judge, he was from the royal family, he was a good, upstanding member of the community, he didn't deserve that. And, uh, but Giordano, years later, was able to go back with the murder of his dad and preach on that spot, preach forgiveness and reconciliation. And then the murder of his dad has now died, and Giordano is sponsoring the murder of his father's two kids through school. How do you do that? Well, that's the grace of God, isn't it? Now, who are you refusing to forgive? I mean, that just gives a bit of context, doesn't it? And some of you, it might be something as heavy as that. Some of us, we've got most pathetic quibbles. Someone sort of bruised our ego or something or said something or whatever. Like, let's not be resentful. We're just, everyone's shortchanged if we're resentful, particularly ourselves. He's saying, come on, like, like a little child, forgive. Don't be resentful, move on. Next one, faith-filled or skeptical. I think kids are so filled naturally with faith that that faith sort of recedes as they grow up into cynical people like us, isn't it? In, it? By nature, a child is full of faith alongside all the wonder and the joy. It, it's so nice. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's, so those pictures I, I, I showed there, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell that story. That witch doctor story, for example. So, and it's, it's, it's topical because right now in Brunei, right now, we have got 600 evangelists out there and 43 teams fanned across the country. They've been a week at it. They've got another week to go as of Wednesday. So three days in, they had led over... 1,800 people to the Lord. We've seen 170,000 people come to the Lord through this outreach over 15 years of doing it every year by last year because of COVID. And, and, and they've gone out and they've done what we read about in the scripture. So they've cast out demons and healed the sick and got beaten up and had power encounters and you know, cripples have, have walked and, uh, and uh, blind have seen. I mean, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. But that picture of the witch doctor, you know, in, in that case, our guys showed up and uh, he, he basically... Um, thought he's going to make some money out of, our, out of our new visitors to the town. And so he started doing his juju stuff. Then one of them spoke, in Jesus' name, he fell down under the power of God. 
And he came to him a few moments later and said, could you come back in two days? Two days later, that is, that is him there, assembled the whole village. And at the preaching of the gospel and him burning his chance publicly, submitting to the highest power, him and 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus. Now, I've got loads of those stories. They could fry your brains. But do you, I think some of us, I don't even believe that, Simon. That's so far off my radar. You know, I just, I can't accept that. And, and that's because we're from a Western worldview, a fiercely sort of secularist you know, worldview, materialistic worldview. And, and that, that's, that's, we're victims, in a sense, in that way. And, you know, we all think that our view of reality is reality. It's not. That's, the, joy, that's the, the privilege of traveling and being exposed to different cultures. There's so much more going on than meets the eye. And, uh, and so may, we, may some of your skepticism be, be pushed back this morning. You can meet with God afresh. He can meet with you in a deep, profound way, and he wants to. And he wants to fill you with faith afresh to believe, to believe. Next one, those kids, the pliable uh, and, and open to change as, as, uh, versus, versus brittle. And I think, uh, again, kids in general, they're just up for it, again, if they feel safe and secure. And uh, we're so often resistant to change. And folks, I don't need to tell you that, but you've, we've got to change. Church has got to change. And what a crazy season we've been through, but things aren't going to be the same, are they? And some of you, you're going to resist that change. And if you resist that change... Again, everyone's the loser because we've got to change. And I, we, we haven't got all the answers of what, that's going to, what's going to, what that is going to look like. But if you journey with Jesus, it's going to be okay. And we've just got to hold things lightly and say, I'm with you, Lord. And this is threatening. I might feel uncomfortable. But I'll journey with you, Daddy. And I'll trust you for it. Next one, hopeful, be cynical. Hands up the cynics. No, don't, don't, don't be hands up. Uh, but... Uh, you know, kids so naturally hopeful. There's not a cynical bone in their body, is there? That, that comes, that comes probably in, you know, late teens or whatever. But some, some of us earlier than others. But it's, 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 it's deathly. Jim Wallace wrote this. The danger of secular fundamentalism, which is the culture we're living in, is its allergy um, to spirituality and disdain for anything religious. And prophetic religion is the antidote to bad religion. Keep your thinking caps on, this is meaty. Prophetic faith is not the, the battle between secularism and faith, but rather between cynicism and hope. And prophets begin in judgment, social critique of the status quo, but they end in hope that those realities can be changed. It's a spiritual choice. You see, ultimately, cynicism protects you from commitment. See, if things uh, are not really going to change, well, why try so hard to make a difference? And if you have middle-class economic security, as many cynics do, then things don't have to change for you to remain secure. That's not intended to sound harsh, just realistic. And cynics are finally free just to look after themselves. And perhaps the only people who view the world realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everyone else may be living some kind of denial about what's really going on, how things really are. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. And hope's not a feeling, it's a decision. And the decision for, for, for hope is based on, on what you believe at the deepest levels. You choose hope, not as a naive wish, but as a choice with your eyes wide open to the reality of the world, just like the cynics have chosen not to hope. Now, 
brothers and sisters, I am so preaching that to myself. After 23 years of engagement in Burundi, I've had so many sucker punches, so many reasons to be cynical and think, no, give up, batten down the hatches, look after just uh, my people. He said, no, don't be cynical. And some of you cynics in the house, you really need to hear that. Come on, fresh start this morning, recommissioning, summer season, let's get ready. And let's go for it. Last few. Secure versus questioning and doubtful. Again, those Baker kids, they look very happy and secure and at peace, didn't they? And that's, that, that, that's, that's the norm in a loving context. Secure versus questioning and doubtful. A guy called Gordon McKenzie did some research. And he went into primary schools and he went up, up to, to each class, let's say class of 30, and he said, hands up here who's an artist. He just had one question. Hands up here who's an artist. And in, in, in the four, five, and six-year-olds... <laughs> Every hand went up, yeah, yeah, I'm an artist. 30 out of 30, every time, yeah, I'm an artist. And then when you got the seven-year-olds, 25 put their hands up, yeah, I'm an artist. And then the eight-year-olds, 20, and then, you know, approximately. And then the, by the time you got to the 11-year-olds, maybe it's, you know, the onset of puberty and feeling a bit self-conscious and that sort of thing. Hands up here who's an artist. Two or three hands only went up. It's not embarrassed, reticent, yeah, I'm an artist. And the conclusion to his research I mean, that question, hands up who's an artist, is just hands up if you believe you've got what it takes, isn't it? And, and the conclusion to his, his research was that everything in our culture and in our, in our society is sucking us into a mold of rigid conformity. And conformity is not maturity. And we were, all of us, those four, five, and six-year-olds. I mean, I know I was. I mean, I'm, I'm seriously not good at art, but, but, but I, you know, four, five, six-year-olds, Simon, hands up, he's an artist. I'm like, yeah, I'm chaffing genius, I'm a Van Gogh, you know, because, because I had loving parents and I was built, built, brought up in a secure environment. But then slowly, I was crushed. And you probably were too. And some of us were still living crushed. And as any proud dad, I mean, my kids are 15, 13, 11 now, so they've evolved somehow in their, their sort of artistic ability, expression. But, you know, all of them age five, Zach, Grace, draws a picture. And they'd take a crayon, and they would hold it that way, which is already wrong, isn't it? And they, they would take the piece of paper, and, they, and, they'd, and they'd butcher this piece of paper, and it looked terrible. And it was, what the heck is it? I didn't even know what they're doing. But... But it was, it, was, it, was, it was appropriate. They're five years old. I, I loved it. And I'm their dad. And so, you know, was I embarrassed by it? No. <laughs> Pride of chapping place for everyone to see when they arrived. That's my boy. That's my girl. Now, two things on that. You know, as you look at, if you think about the picture of how your life is going, you know, have you, have you done a good picture? Have you stuck close to the lines? Have you got the color scheme right? First thing is, you know, if it's the best you've got, daddy's pleased. And if it's not the best you've got, well, here's a fresh piece of paper. Here's a fresh piece of paper. And Jesus says, why don't you do it? Why don't we, why don't we draw this together from here on in? That's the offer this morning. That's the offer every day. A steadfast love. The Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you need that fresh piece of paper this morning? That's the offer. 
secure versus questioning, doubtful. Don't doubt in your own ability or don't doubt in God. And then he doesn't doubt in you. He's like, he said, I believe you've got what it takes to be who I've called you to be. Come on, bring it on. Last one. Trusting versus fearful. Now, I, this is where in the, in the flesh, I want to go in a massive rant, but I'm going to hold myself back. But we live in a fear culture. And uh, in this COVID season, we, fear has been ramped up. And it's a very serious disease and all that, but we are not called to live by fear. And speaking of someone who has very much faced death uh, full on, you know, our birthright as followers of Jesus is to be free from, is to choose faith over fear. And we've got to stop being manipulated to be fearful. And it just blows my mind how fearful we are as a nation and how we shouldn't be fearful. That's, that's particularly in the church, we shouldn't be fearful. So this morning, hear that from the Lord. Be trusting, like those little kids. Trust your father. He's a good dad. It happens in the world. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. But he's, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you in, in his hands. And you can trust him through anything. In the Holocaust, in, in Treblinka, in the concentration camp there in Poland, you know, Typically, those mainly Jewish folk were, were worked to death. And there was a family, uh, mum, dad, and two kids. One of the boys was severely disabled. And uh, dad would go off work there each day and come back. And he came back one evening, and um, there was just the healthy son left. And uh, he, oh, he said, where's, where's mummy? Where's Jimmy? And uh, his son told him how they'd come to take away the... Uh, disabled boy because he was unproductive so they're taking him off to the gas chamber and he was naturally freaking out what was going on and his mother just got down on his level and looked him in the eye and said don't worry darling I'll go with you and he put his hand in his mum's hand and peacefully walked into the gas chamber now that's what God does with us isn't it that's what Jesus chose to do on the cross. And again, that's the offer this morning. Just go and just put your hand in mine. Stop being afraid. I've got it. I've got you. Let's just go. Let's go. Let's go together. Into the gas chamber. Into Burundi. Along the RN1. There's 40 people get killed around me. Whatever. Just, just journey with me. You're going to get there with me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The one who's in you, me, that's me, is greater than the one who's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No weapon that's formed against you will prevail. Trust in me with all your hearts. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me. I will make your path straight. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do you want any more promises? They're all coming, aren't they? They're promises for us. And then one of my low moments out in Burundi, my great aunt wrote me a handwritten, you know, we don't get many of those anymore, do we? But this is probably like 2002. She wrote me a card and it just had, it had three pithy lines, beautiful lines, comforting lines. And it was, it was this, look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. But look to Jesus and be at rest. That's right, isn't it? I mean, look around. 
I mean, you've had 18 months, whatever of it. There's a lot further to go. The economy, all that sort of stuff, all the compounding issues. I mean, it's a mess. Look around it's, and be distressed, rightfully be distressed, if that's what you're going to focus on. Look within, oh, flipping air, look at your own issues. That's depressing. But look to Jesus and be at rest. And we've got to do this, people, because as I said at the start, verse 17 is a big deal. Look at that again. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Think about that. So time's run out. Why don't you stand just for a change of posture? And let's, oh, let me pray with and for us. You don't have to, but you could open your hands if you wanted to actively demonstrate your receptivity to, to God. Because Jesus is offering you so much today, precious child. Can I call you a child? Not condescending. Are you up for being a child? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Meet with your people, wherever we're at. And Lord, I... Maybe reluctantly I say, yeah, I am needy <laughs> and dependent. No, I want to be needy. I want to... Because I, I, I need you as a savior. I need you as a rescuer. I need you as a protector. I am vulnerable. I can't manage on my own. That's the childlike posture. I need to humble myself because you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So may we humble ourselves right now. And Lord, I choose to lighten up and be joyful and grateful and thankful instead of glum and grumpy and complaining. And as we're praying these things, Lord, you know which one really nails us. And probably all of them on some level, but some of us we really need uh, certain ones above the others. And Lord, where my, where my sense of wonder has been dulled and I've become indifferent and I'm no longer curious, Lord, I yeah, stirring in me a fresh sense of wonder to keep asking questions. Renew us in that today, Lord. Father, let's resolve uh, to be quick to forgive. Any issues right now that the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind? You're going to hold on to resentment and bitterness? Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to the foot of the cross. Any resentment, grudges, unforgiveness, let's deal with it. Father, I choose to em embrace and adapt rather than resist and feel threatened by change. Trusting in you. Lord, forgive me for my cynicism. Smash it. And I choose to be hopeful. That's a choice. Lord, I want to deal with my insecurities and self-doubts in who I am in you that I have got what it takes to be who you've called me to be. And Lord, I choose to live by faith and not fear. So break right now, literally break the chains where I'm shackled by fear, where we are as a body, if we are as individuals, whatever. Freedom, freedom from fear. Lord, I'm going to stick my hand in yours and journey wherever 
through whatever into that gas chamber, whatever it is, with you, trusting you. So Lord, meet with us right now as we draw to an end. Meet with us. Nail what needs nailing. We don't want to leave the same, Lord. We don't want to settle for less than the best. We don't want to shortchange ourselves and those around us of our potential in you to be world shakers and shapers in Cheltenham and to the nations. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work. We're listening, we're listening.